0: Isaac Morehouse, welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Praxis is proud to sponsor this episode of the podcast. Praxis is about living the life you want, living on your own terms, getting off the conveyor belt. What does that mean specifically? If you're a young person, high school college age, you've kind of been taught that there's a conveyor belt. You sit down, you shut up, you obey the rules, you get good grades, and you'll be moved along and then eventually handed a ticket to a job and a house and two and a half kids and a bunch of debt. That's bull crap. You need to create your own life. You need to decide what you want. Look at the opportunities around us that are more plentiful than has ever existed in the history of mankind. And you need to get out and start exploring and experimenting. Stop doing things you hate. If you're bored in the classroom, if it's not bringing you any joy, get out, engage with the world, try some things. If you get accepted into practice, Praxis is a highly competitive, highly competitive program. But if you get accepted in, we will place you with an entrepreneur at a growing dynamic business where you'll be working 30 hours a week. At the same time, you'll be going through a series of professional development challenges to meet your goals that you've set out. You start the program and say, here's what I want at the end. Here are the tangible outcomes. I want a job offer. I want to launch an online business. I want to whatever it might be. We take that and use that as our measuring stick to decide whether we're doing our job. Our advisors work with you to reach those goals. They help you, they push you, they challenge you like a fitness trainer would. But ultimately, you're the one in the driver's seat. We provide you with an amazing curriculum, resources on everything from liberal arts topics like economics and history, to business, entrepreneurship, life skills, and digital branding, building a website. It is intense, but it will change your life. Discoverpraxis.com. Check it out. All right. Today I am really excited to talk with my friend Peter Niger and his wife, Anna Loenig. Is that how you pronounce your last name, Anna?
1: Oh, it's actually Leinig. It's German.
0: Leinig. L-O-E- yeah,
1: everyone, everyone says Loneg, though, so it's all right. H-N-I-G.
0: <laughs> okay, Anna Lane. Um And yeah. Peter, if, uh, if you have checked out the book, Why Haven't You Read This Book, you will note his name from one of the chapters, Why Haven't You Quit Your Job. And uh, if you haven't checked out that book, you need to. You can go to Amazon, Why Haven't You Read This Book, and look it up. And uh, Peter has a wonderful chapter about quitting your job and uh, – Taking and just just leaving for a better life, um, and it's a really good it's a really good chapter with a lot of really interesting um, sort of a really philosophical approach to taking control of your life and kind of doing the things you've always wanted to do. So Peter and Anna, they are traveling across the country by bicycle right now, uh, and so we're going to get into more about how they ended up there and all that stuff as we go along. But I want to start with right now in the present. Where are you guys currently?
2: Uh, we're currently in the town of Orange, Texas, right on the Louisiana border.
0: Okay. And what has today consisted of so far? It's about three in the afternoon right now. So what have you done so far today?
2: Uh, today's a little abnormal because we're actually stranded here because there's flash flooding and tornado watches throughout the region. So we had to get a hotel and we're just bunkering down until tomorrow when we hit the road again. But today has mostly been uh, we've both done a little bit of work. We have online jobs. And then just kind of prepping our route and getting ready for the, the next leg into New Orleans.
0: Okay, so staying in a hotel in Orange, Texas for a day. It was an emergency. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is, that, is that as scary as it sounds? <laughs> I'm picturing like Bates Motel type of movie scene.
2: Uh, There was a lot of uh, loud noises last night and a lot of people wandering around and someone apparently had a fish fry out on the balcony, (laughs) like on the shared walkway. But you know, other than that, it's been good. (laughs) So
0: so do you know how long you're going to be hunkered down?
2: Uh, just till tomorrow. The weather's play. supposed to clear up, so we should be able to hit the road by noon tomorrow. Okay.
0: Yeah. So today was a work day. Do you rotate? Like do some days you ride all day long and then other days you work all day long or do you take a couple hours here and there? What's What's the typical pattern?
1: Yeah, um, that sounds about right. Um, we just kind of play it by ear. Uh, some days we bike all day. And then um, if we ever stop at like a, we do couch surfing. So if we're ever at couch server's house or a friend's house, a family member's house, we take advantage of the electricity and internet to get work done and other times we just kind of have to stop because we need to get work done so then maybe we'll try to find a Starbucks or some other type of coffee shop and just bunker down there for like a day. Sometimes we do half days where we'll bike, you know, maybe 10 miles into a city, go to the Starbucks Work, you know, a few hours and then bike another ten or fifteen miles out of the city. And, so And so
0: you don't have necessarily like a pattern that every week Tuesday is like this and Wednesday is like this. It's oh. it's very short term planning.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah
2: we, we tried to stick with a kind of like four days on, three days like four days of riding, three days of working. But cities just aren't located where you need them to be sometimes. So really our entire life, we just play it by ear. Like we never know with where we're going to be in the next 24 hours, where we're going to be stopping.
0: Well, so when I sent you a, a calendar invite for this interview like two weeks ago, I'm impressed. that you, you were like a slave to that for the last two weeks. We've got to find a way to get to Orange, Texas so we can do this interview. Um, so uh, if, if you can share, I don't know if there's any reason it would be confidential, but um, your jobs. Uh, Anna, let's start with you. What what do you do, uh, what's your online work, and how does that bring in an income for you?
1: Uh, well, I'm actually a registered dietitian, and my first job that I got right out of uh, co- college, like right after I graduated, was a job for this Australian company called SP Health. And um, they do a lot of online, like they run different health and fitness websites, Um in Australia, the UK, and here in the US. So I first started working for them uh, freelance, like I was just working from where I lived in Missouri, even though they were based out of Australia. And I did that for about a year, I think. And then I ended up moving to LA and working in the office for them full time for a few years. And then when this idea for the bike ride came up, I asked them if I could go back to you know, just doing it like from home or from the road um, since I'd already done that for a year. And so, you know, they trusted me and they said that was okay. So wow. yeah, it's, it, it was really lucky and it's just part time now, obviously if I don't have time yeah. to anymore. But so can you,
0: do you have the flexibility yeah, it, to set like how many hours you work and you just get paid for when you're working or do you have to perform certain duties or, or clock certain hours every week?
1: Um, it kind of depends. Like, uh, last year I was trying to do 16 hours a week and this year they kind of have moved to just, uh, whatever needs to be done. Like I can work as much or as little as, you know, as there is work to do. So, um, yeah, right now it's a little less than 16 hours. a week. Okay.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, interesting.
1: it's very flexible and I can really do it just whenever, you know, sometimes it's something a little more urgent, but usually it's just something that needs to get done within the next couple of weeks. So I can just do it whenever I have time. It,
0: it's really amazing when you, when you mentioned, you know, you were working in an office, but the work you were doing apparently didn't require being in an office. And then you asked, is it okay if Not I do this? Well. Yeah. Is it okay if I do this elsewhere? And they said, yes. And, and I had a, a similar experience personally, and it sort of made me wonder yeah. how many other people could do this. And, and in my case, I was, I was afraid that if I asked uh, this was back uh, several years ago. Well, not that many, three years ago or so when I or five, I guess when I worked for um, IHS and I was traveling all over the country. I was very independent, and the colleagues I worked closest with, they were traveling as well. So we were rarely all in the office together. I didn't really need to be, and. Mm-hmm. I was afraid if I asked, can I move away and do this, they would say no. And so instead I just told them, (laughs) I just said, I just sort of said, Hey, uh, my wife and I are thinking about moving and then, Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to talk about that. And then I kind of brought it up again. Hey, we're looking at houses. All right, well, we'll talk about how that, you know, might work or whatever. And I think, I think, I was afraid to ask because they would say no, and I think they were afraid to tell me no because then they thought I might quit. And so it was like this perfect scenario where, like, I, I was never actually given permission to go leave, but it just sort of. <laughs> and, didn't. and And I wonder how many people could do that. Um, man, I think there's yeah. got to be there's got to be a lot. Now, now, Peter, what about you? What is your current uh, what is your current way of of earning cash? Um, I work for a company called
2: Civitas. It's actually based in Charleston. Um, but I don't think any of the staff member actually live there. We all kind of live everywhere. Um, and I do data research and analysis. We primarily work with nonprofits and, like, local governments because there's all this kind of bureaucracy you have to deal with when dealing with the federal government with, like, money distribution. Mm-hmm. So I help them navigate that bureaucracy, really. So, and it really came about because I posted one day on Facebook that I like working with maps And one of like a friend of a friend contacted me and said, hey, we're doing some data analysis on maps. Do you think you could help us out? I know you're biking on the road. So when I started the bike ride, I didn't have a job. (laughs) I just figured it would take care of itself or I would get somewhere where I wanted to stop for a few months and build up savings and keep moving. And at the time Anna was working, we realized like worst case scenario, she could bring in the income while I take care of all like the logistics and planning and other stuff. Okay. So
0: just in very practical terms, I'm assuming both of you get paid- via like direct deposit to a bank account somewhere and then you just use a credit card or a debit card or you go get cash from an ATM whenever you need it. Yeah. Yep. And do you, yeah. do you have, so do you have a, uh, what kind of like, like do you have anything that requires you to have an address? Like uh, if you have a cell phone plan, for example, they usually want like an address to bill or something like that. Do you have a permanent address that you keep somewhere or a PO box? Uh, we've
1: just been using my parents address sure. <laughs> since it's a, uh, It's a permanent one and my parents are nice enough to let us know whenever we get mail there and they either forward it to us wherever we are. Um, A lot of post offices do general delivery, like you can have something mailed there under your name and if it says general delivery, they'll hold it for you until you can come pick it up, which is really nice. We've used that a few times.
0: And so, I mean, you probably, well, you probably don't need it for it, like you probably don't have any utilities besides a cell phone or something. No, the cell All phone's right. the only one.
2: Actually, the only oh, time we have—well, yeah—the only time we have problems dealing with having a mailing address is if we're dealing with any type of like government bureaucracy, <laughs> yeah. like whether it's <laughs> taxes or the new health insurance stuff. Like those have been the biggest pains it, because they need like signatures or they need. It, it, you know, it's so
0: funny how that stuff. It's so it's so stuck in such a, a age of the past. I remember when we're first setting up Praxis as a legal entity. And setting up uh, a bank for business, and I had uh, the guys of a company doing my accounting, which actually my brother's company. They were they were in Michigan, and I was in South Carolina, and we were incorporated in Michigan. And on our website, it had a a uh, physical mailing address that was South Carolina because that's where I was, and if anybody was mailing anything, like that's where I wanted it. But because we were registered in Michigan, the bank it was actually they just they would not get our account set up until the the address on our website matched the address we gave them when we first started setting up the account because the Department of Homeland Security required them <laughs> required them. I guess yeah. if you're a terrorist, you put a different address on your website than on your bank papers and that was you know the only thing standing between you know uh, us committing acts of terror was was the the address listed on our website. So it, it can be pretty arcane. Um, okay, so Let's well okay. Before we zoom to the to the full background, give me a little bit more of the future. So, what does the next, let's say, two weeks to a month entail for you guys?
2: Um, we'll be heading into Baton Rouge for. We found some couch surfers to stay with for a few days. That'll probably take us four or five days, and then we're going to go down to New Orleans and see a friend of ours from Burning Man and stay with her for probably a week. And then okay. after that, yeah, yeah. And then after that, we're just going to kind of bike along the Gulf of Mexico till we get to like Tallahassee, Florida. And then head north up towards Charleston, DC, and all that area. So,
0: so, this is someone you met at Burning Man. Are you sure it's a real person, and it wasn't someone you uh, <laughs> hallucinated while you were <laughs> experiencing actually?
1: Give it a ride.
2: Yeah, actually, it was kind of a crazy scenario. She met. Um, do you, I don't know if you know Gabrielle um, Alexander McOwen's wife. Okay. Yeah. Where she had a friend named Cheyenne who was going to Burning Man and needed a ride. So it was like a friend of a friend contacted us like the day before we were leaving for Burning Man and just asked if she could get in the car with us. <laughs> we're like, sure, why not?
1: Yeah, we had room. So and we... then, so
2: she drove up the 15 hours or whatever it is. And then, yeah, we stayed in touch since then. And So, oh, she's
0: really awesome. okay. So this, this is a good, this reminds me of a question that I've had for a bit since you started, um, your biking across the country and, and this very interesting nomadic lifestyle has your opinion of sort of uh, human nature as a whole or uh, the culture we live in has it changed I mean because it seems like couch surfing and things like that require i don't know maybe a level of trust that's slightly higher even than say an Airbnb or something like that that has a a, a more you know large centralized company that you know has a reputation at stake and um, just kind of like relying on friend of a friend who said you can stay there are you more trusting of people or have you experienced the opposite? Have you experienced people trying to steal your stuff when you're in a certain city? And are you like, do you feel like the world is more dangerous or is it basically what the same outlook you had when you started?
1: Uh, I would say I have found that people are more trustworthy than you think. I think most, the overwhelming majority of people are good and any like bad things you hear about happening. I think those are really like overplayed and you know, they get a lot of attention but we have never had anything bad happen to us. Like we've never had anything stolen. And every, really every experience we've had with couch surfing has been great. You know, we've met some really cool people and we've had people just approach us at gas stations and ask if we need a place to stay and just offer up their yard for us to camp in or their-
2: Spare bedroom sometimes. like People have just invited us into their house when they see us just sitting on the side of the road having lunch. That's amazing. and then they'll be like, hey, like we met a couple in North Dakota. that had a pecan farm. That
1: was in Missouri. Actually. or it in Missouri. Yeah. And they
2: basically, they saw us at a gas station. And they're like, hey, we've got this spare bedroom. We're empty nesters. Come on. Down. We had dinner with them and hung out on their pecan farm and like picked pecans off the trees. And it was just a great experience. That,
0: that is absolutely, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, it's just so, it's so, it's so fascinating how different people are, face to face than they are in sort of this, this theoretical world or just blips in the news. I I sort of, I sort of call it the curse of Thomas Hobbes, like this idea that absent some centralizing force, some big authority wielding a stick, making sure everyone's nice. Everyone will just be trying to kill each other all the time. And yet if you've ever been in a city right after a tornado or a flood, or, uh, you know, somebody has a relative that died, people that have never met each other more often than not, they just they just start helping. They just rally around. They reach out. I mean, you know, people obviously can do terrible things at different points, but I, I just find it amazing how relatively easy it is to get somebody to help you if you're if you're in need. Now, has anyone ever given you sort of like the indentured servant pitch, like, "Hey, come garden for me, and I'll give you a room"?
2: Uh, no, not really. The I mean, we did we have stayed with people where like uh, a family in Oregon had a farm, like a vegetable farm and animals and stuff. And we helped like pick the vegetables for our dinner that night. But that it wasn't was fun though. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> like an endangered in- servant yeah, thing. Work. It was more like, hey, do you mind going over and getting some of the potatoes out of the potato garden? It's like, sure. Would you mind
1: digging them out of the ground? We're yeah. like, yes, we would love to do that. <laughs> oh
0: man, okay. So I want to go back in time because you guys seem so like at ease and comfortable with your, you know, nomadic lifestyle but I'm sure that wasn't always the case. So, so what was the genesis of this? Um, and I guess we can go one at a time. Whoever wants to go first, what, what was sort of the beginning of this process of getting you to a point where you were comfortable traveling across the nation by bike? You can go first. Okay. Maybe.
1: Um, cause you, I mean, you I get... did it before I did. You cause Peter, Peter, when
0: I met you, we were both in Washington DC at the time. And as you know, that's a very difficult people, uh, difficult city for many people to escape from, especially if you have a decent job. Uh, but you did. What, what started that process?
2: Um, you know, I did have a pretty good job with a fantastic organization, Students for Liberty. I, it's probably the best organization I've ever worked for. But I was really unhappy in D.C. Like the culture didn't fit really well with me. It's fairly expensive. And I saw that everyone either stayed there for 18 months or they stayed there for 18 years, it seemed like. Right. Like, so you, there was just
0: like, like, you have a window when you don't get out before, you know, a certain amount of time, you're never going to go.
2: Well, yeah, because you get trapped in that. You're getting paid a good amount of money. You finally move out of the junkie of apartment, but now you can't quit your job because you need the income in order to stay in the fairly nice apartment. And it's just like this vicious cycle in that town. So in 2010, no, 2012, I basically quit my job and did a solo bike ride from DC to Los Angeles over the summer.
0: Now, were you a big Thank biker you. already?
2: Nope, I'd probably never put more than 20 miles on a bike. So what
0: made you Please. what made you decide uh, quitting your job is one thing, and, and yeah. you talk about that in your in your book. But what made you decide I'm going to bike across the country?
2: Um, it was a, a mixture of I don't know. Um, when I was in the army, I was in the. This goes back a little ways. Like when I was in the army, I was in the 82nd Airborne Division, which is the All Americans, and they they got the name because they were the first unit to have soldiers from every single U.S. state in it mm-hmm. back in like World War One. So me and uh, some soldiers in Afghanistan were just like on a mountaintop talking about that and how most of us had never really left our home states. Mm. And we all said that we wanted to visit every state at some point. So now you fast forward to when I'm quitting DC, I don't really know where I want to go and I don't have a driver's license because my driver's license expired and I never renewed it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I literally D- by D. requirement either had
2: to take a plane or I had to find another form of transportation. And if I flew to L.A., I still didn't have a job waiting for me in L.A., so I just didn't have things figured out. So I just figured I'd take a chance, bike as far as I could, and got across the country. So so
0: you really biked across to buy yourself time to figure out what you were going to do when you got there. Yeah, and
2: then when I got there, I figured out what I wanted to do was bike.
0: (laughs) Like, oh, the the journey is the destination. Um, Yeah. Okay, so, but that wasn't, so you biked across, you got to L.A., and then you stayed put for a couple years, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I stayed there for almost yeah. two years. Yeah year and a half, two years. That's where Anna and I like started dating and stuff.
0: Okay. And and during that two years, was it always the plan to just to get back on the road as soon as you can, or did you originally think you were gonna settle in LA for a while?
2: I thought I was gonna settle in LA for a while. Um, I got a pretty decent job as kind of a corporate job in the, the industry down there, doing private security and investigations. And, you know, my boss was great, but it just really, I wasn't a good fit for it. And I realized that pretty quickly, that I wasn't happy going into an office every day, commuting an hour and a half each way, being forced to put on a collared shirt and things. I just, I wasn't happy no matter how much money I made. So we decided, like, after Anna and I were getting serious, I was really considering leaving and just kind of completing the 48-state tour, and we were serious enough that I invited her along.
0: So, um, Anna, how did you end up... In LA and uh, how did you end up deciding to go along with this crazy idea or or had you already biked the country as well
1: no I I did really love biking Um, I'm from st. Louis originally and um, basically I went to college in Missouri as well and I, I always it was a pretty small college town so I would use my bike to as my main form of transportation there And then uh, I lived in St. Louis for about a year after I graduated, and there was a really nice paved bike trail where I was living, and I, there was one summer where I biked probably 40 to 60 miles, like, almost every day. I was just kind of, like, obsessed with biking, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I moved to L.A. because my my job offered me the full-time position in the office there, and I was kind of, I was definitely ready to get out of Missouri by then, like, I'd spent... 22, 23 years there, and I was definitely ready to go see the rest of the country. So LA was the starting point, and then uh, Peter, when Peter like asked me if I wanted to come with him, I was like, "That sounds amazing! I love biking, and uh, I loved moving to California, and thought it'd be great to see the rest of the world or the rest of the country, I
0: should say." Um, so. once they make bikes that can, you know, cross the Atlantic, you guys will yeah. be, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, so. When you were still in Missouri and you started, uh, you said you biked. How many? Well, how much did you say? Just on that trail, you were just biking all the time. Oh yeah, I
1: was just biking. Well, St. Louis wasn't the most, probably still isn't the most bike friendly city. Um, so yeah, I just biked like on the trail because so, it was the safest. What was
0: it about when you started doing that? Um, is there something about biking that sort of does it give you a a feeling or a sense of accomplishment or freedom or is it, is it just sort of like a form of meditation for you? Um, I mean, now maybe it's purely utilitarian, although I doubt, I doubt you'd be able to do it as much as you guys are if you didn't get some sort of, uh, you know, joy out of it or if it wasn't, there wasn't something to it deeper than that. But, but when you started doing that, what was it about biking that you just really enjoyed?
1: Um, you know, I'm not really sure. I think it was a combination of all the things you said. Um, but I I do know that it's, it's definitely not just like a form of exercise or anything. It's way more than that because I've tried biking on like the stationary bikes (laughs) and that is not for me. (laughs) Like that is so boring. So I think part of it is just being able to, um, it allows you to see new things as you go and kind of at the right speed, you know, it's faster than walking, but much slower than driving in a car. So you kind of get to see your surroundings at a, you know, a really nice pace. And, uh, I love to listen to music, um, while biking. And like Peter kind of turned me on to the idea of like listening to podcasts or, um, like audio books. And- Audiobooks, yeah. Like just, you can listen to anything while you're biking, which is, I don't know.
0: You know, it's interesting that, um, because I found, uh, that walking, if you're in a densely populated city, I mean, Charleston is a great example of this. The, the, it's a small downtown. and If you drive through it, you're like, that was kind of cool. Uh, if you walk through it, if you walk down, like, say, you know, South King Street or whatever, it's an entirely different experience because the, um, the scale changes, Everything is at the scale of someone who's walking in these older cities, especially because they were designed for this sort of slow movement. And so you see these little little, you know, portals into a little garden that you couldn't see if you were driving. Um, and so the the changing of the, the speed, it kind of changes the scale at which you experience your environment. And, and the United States is so unique in that most cities are not that old. Most of them are built in the age of faster transportation and they're a little bit more spread out. And a car is still a little fast to experience most of them, but walking is a little slow. Like nobody's going to walk across Houston, you know. <laughs> yeah. But a bike, it seems like a really interesting way to, to kind of experience many cities and 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 frankly the countryside in the United States at a speed that's almost um, enough where you can make the progress necessary to to not just be you know stuck in the same cornfield for hours on end, but slow enough to really take it in. I don't know. I haven't done it at length. I mean, I used to bike uh, this trail. It uh, was maybe 30, 40 miles in in Michigan from where I lived in Kalamazoo to, to Lake Michigan. I used to bike that every every year. And that was a. There's just a really interesting experience because you couldn't walk from there to Lake Michigan in a day, um, but you could bike it in a day, but it was so different from driving there. It's so different. There's all these yeah. little towns that like you don't notice when you're driving through. So anyway, that... That sounds really interesting to me uh, to kind of well, oh, go ahead Peter it sounds like you
2: I'll say there's also just like a psychological difference when you don't have a sh- like a screen in front of you you don't have a windshield you you're smelling everything you're hearing natural sounds you're feeling all the bumps of the road and the pavement while you bike over it like we there's a uh, there's an avenue in northern Car- or northern california called the avenue of the giants where all the redwoods are and we biked that, and I just can't imagine what the point would be of driving it because mm. all it, like when you're buzzing by at sixty miles per hour, it's just trees going by quickly. Mm. But for us, we were like, "Oh, look, there's a giant redwood tree that we can go stand inside of on the side of the road." Oh, you can smell like the moss and the, you know, oak and everything that's going on around you. It's just, I don't mean, know, it's very different than driving. Driving is very utilitarian if you're trying to get from point A to point B, but you don't experience the actual. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, experience-
0: I'm a huge like I love driving on the open road. I used to drive all over the, the crisscross, the state of Michigan for different jobs that I had, but I love that experience when I'm on the highway and there's no other traffic and I'm free. Cause I like being in control of what I do. I don't like being contingent on other people, but when you're stuck in traffic, you feel like a total prisoner when you drive. And I, and I can kind of see biking being, because it's powered solely by you, you're even more connected to like, you are in control of what you do, how fast you go. I don't to my knowledge, it's pretty rare to be stuck in traffic as a biker. <laughs> maybe it happens. Um, okay, so so you get to LA, you guys meet, and at what point did you have the conversation, hey, maybe we should pull up roots and go bike the country?
2: Um, I think it was after I'd been working for about a year, a little bit over that. I realized that I wasn't happy there, and I didn't really like any of my job opportunities there. So I basically told Anna that I was planning on doing that, and if she wanted to come, that'd be great. We were living together at the
1: time, I think. I think
2: so. Yeah, yeah, and then she agreed to do it.
1: Haven't you jokingly invited me to come on your first bike ride with you? Oh, yeah, because we (laughs) (laughs) actually— Well, we'd only known each other for, like, a week.
2: Anna and I actually met at my going-away party in D.C. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah.
1: So like before your- before the, And we just coincidentally
2: happened to be both be moving to LA within like a month of each huh. other because she was still in St. Louis at that time. All right.
0: So she moved there and then you just caught up once you finally rode all the way across the country. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Um, so when you set out, did you have a, a time limit or a plan like we're going to do this for six months and come back to LA or we're going to try to find a new city to settle in or was it let's just do this indefinitely?
2: Um, the original plan was to try to travel with the season, so go up north during the spring, be in the northern states during the summer, come down. And we thought it would take us about eighteen months total, but then We're we just
1: a little bit off. Yeah, then we <laughs>
2: then we adopted a dog that <laughs> weighs fifty five pounds. And that slowed things down considerably because it turns into the spiral where you have to carry enough food for the food and water for the dog, which is heavier, which means you're moving slower, which means you can't reach new towns as quickly, so you have to make sure to stock up more on food and
0: water. And
1: that slows you down even more. Yeah, it's and, like the snowball effect. Where so, so what
0: is the, where's the dog? Are you pulling him in a trailer? Yes. Yeah, we have a
2: trailer that hitches to the – we have two trailers, one with all of our camping equipment and food and stuff that goes on the back of Anna's bike. And then we have a full-size dog trailer that attaches to the back of my I
0: feel like that dog is living the life that dogs dream about. <laughs> he's Good visited thing, more,
2: yeah. he's visited more states than most Americans.
0: Right? Do, <laughs> do dogs hang their head out the window when they're biking too, or is that only in cars?
1: Yeah.
2: No, he lays his, he hangs his head out the right hand side <laughs> and just like whimpers when he sees cows. Cause he loves cows and like smells things and he loves it. He hops right in his trailer 80 or 90% of the time ready to go. Okay.
0: So when did you, when did you leave LA? How long have you been on the road?
1: We left L.A. in April 2014, and so we've kind of been doing this in, like, sections because, like, as we said, our original plan didn't work out, like, because we moved so much, like, slower than we thought we would, so by the time we made it up north, it was already starting to get cold, so we made it to Missoula, Montana that first year. Oh, that's year. a beautiful place. yeah Yeah, that was a
2: fun city
1: we we ended up having to stop there because we we uh we got there and then we went to burning man and then we came back and it was already starting to frost at night in early september (laughs) so we were like all right we're you know a few thousand miles away from where we need to be in the south and we can't we can't do it in time before winter comes so so yeah we just like rented an apartment and stayed there for eight months and then we set off
0: again. Um, it's so fascinating to, to hear you say things that you know you you don't hear people say normally. probably haven't for 150 <laughs> years. Which is, oh, we can't travel to our destination because the frost is coming. You know, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, winter's coming. We gotta wait another season. So, what did you do yeah. for those eight months in Missoula?
2: Um, Anna went. Job. Yeah, Anna went back up to full time work at her job.
1: Just online, online, just online. But really lucky that and they then, were able to let me go back to full-time. It was,
2: it was great. Yeah. And then I got a part-time job at a grocery store, <laughs> which was actually really nice because we got like half-off groceries and they provided full medical and dental. They paid for my vasectomy and everything. It was <laughs> Man, like that.
0: that was a yeah, – yeah, it's like, okay, look, here's our here's our two-year trip. Um, we're going to stop in Missoula, get a quick vasectomy, and then we're going to – So
1: – wasn't part of the plan. Well, <laughs> yeah.
0: So um, how – Okay, I have a couple of questions here, and I got to decide the order that I, that I want to ask them in. <laughs> Not about the vasectomy. Um, how mu- I mean, how much money does it take, like right now? How mu- what does your lifestyle cost you? How much money does it take to, like, what do you need to earn per week or per month, if you don't mind me asking, to sort of maintain what you're doing? Are you guys, are you socking away some in savings, or are you basically spending everything you earn as you go? What's, what's the financial side look like?
2: Uh, generally we spend about everything we make and we run about $2,400 a month for both of us. us. We could do it much cheaper than that. Like we spend money on beer. We get hotel rooms. Sometimes we don't need to. I've seen the pictures
0: on Facebook of your beer and Oreo parties. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it's, it's, it's really interesting, though, that you say, oh, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of splurging. We're at 2400 a month. And I mean, you know um, from D.C., Peter, and certainly from L.A., 2400 a month is like a, you know, one two-bedroom apartment. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that's how much I spent just on myself in L.A. at yeah. least per month. So, so it's definitely so, cheaper.
2: So we don't put a lot of money in savings now. Every now and then we'll have a month where things tend to be a little bit cheaper. We can... We both got like Roth IRAs that we put a little money in if we happen to have anything left over, but that's that's kind of the exception to the rule. You know, we're not going into debt over it. It's but interesting
0: how your perspective changes once I would suspect and correct me if I'm wrong. You know, you you end up in Missoula. It's going to be longer than expected, so you just you know get a job. Um, you got these. You know, Peter, you sort of <laughs> Facebook posted about maps. You end up with an online job. You sort of have realized by doing this. I'm I'm suspecting that it's not that hard to maintain a decent standard of living. You've seen enough cities to know there's lots of different ways to live at lots of different income levels. I suspect that not like socking away money in savings is not really scary to you anymore because you sort of are aware of your own power to earn more money if you need to at any time. Or is that is that not true?
1: No, that's very true.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: You and we could live so much cheaper. Like it would be very possible for us to basically go to a bean and rice diet with some vegetables and stuff to maintain us. Like, when you realize how cheap you can live your life, a lot of things feel like splurging. And you realize that it's not that scary that if one of us... Because it's possible that one of us will lose our job while we're on the bike ride. Yeah. And we'll be fine. Yeah, Like, we'll figure a way to make it work.
0: You know... Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead, Anna. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I just... This this whole bike ride has just kind of emphasized we're already really pretty easygoing, flexible people. And this, this is just totally shown us the importance of that, at least while we're on this bike ride, like you have to be flexible.
0: It's funny. I'm so right now I'm in, I'm in Ecuador. Uh, this is our final, final few days here with my family. We've been here for, for six weeks and and the point was not a vacation. It was to sort of do normal life in another country and kind of see what it was like. And, um, it's been, it's been its own series of challenges, but one of the things, the combination of being down here, as well as since I launched uh, Praxis a couple years ago Having basically no, no sort of security blanket, no long term, like once you launch a company, you are, your sort of financial fate is tied to the fate of that company. And most companies, you know, don't know what the revenue is going to be a year, two, three years out. Most, most of the time, it's not even six months out. And I've gotten comfortable. Um, totally comfortable, actually, with that level of sort of not knowing. It just doesn't worry me at all. And coming down here and seeing things like a beautiful house on the Pacific Ocean in a really nice neighborhood for like $150,000 <laughs> and just seeing different ways people can live, it sort of makes you realize. I, I, I had a Skype call with a, with a young uh, student who is in his senior year of college, and he's just so stressed out about he doesn't know if he has the right skills and he's majoring in the right thing to get a job with a good enough salary. And he's like worried about doing anything for even a few months that he enjoys, that would be interesting to him, that he thinks would be beneficial to him. Because what if that cuts into his ability to like earn a living? And I'm, and I'm trying to tell him, you know, as I'm sitting here, like see, seeing seeing what I see around me here, seeing all the possibilities, knowing people like you traveling the country to say, look, the bottom is not very far for somebody in the United States today. I mean, there's there's almost no way that you can like end up out on the street homeless if, you know, I mean, it's just your ability to, to earn enough money to have a decent life is so much greater than most people realize. And I think they end up in jobs that they hate so that they can afford a lifestyle that they don't even like, you know? Yeah,
1: <laughs> so true.
0: My soapbox. Um,
2: no, I mean, we've, very true. I'm sure it's different. Down there, but we've been we've been up in your old uh, home state of Michigan, where we were in the Upper Peninsula, and we saw oh, yeah, and like, and the
0: yeah, Upper yeah. Peninsula is like the same price point as like an undeveloped third world country. Oh, <laughs> no, it, is, but it's beautiful. It was like
1: it was grand. 60, 65
0: grand for like
1: five
2: for a five bedroom house on like oh, two hundred yeah. acres or something like that.
1: Unbelievable. Granted, the house was like kind of falling apart, right. but and they didn't it, have it access to. Pencil.
2: You know, they didn't have access to gas, sewage, water, <laughs> yeah. anything
0: like that, but, but, but it, but it, sort, it sort of, it sort of lets you done. know, like, you know, if, if things get really bad, I can, you know, go somewhere beautiful within, as long as it has an internet connection for most of us, that's just really mm. cheap. And I can, if, if nothing else, I can wait it out for a little bit. When, when you were talking about Missoula, Peter, it, it, it reminded me of something really interesting, um there's a podcast I really enjoy called the world wanderers podcast. And, uh, it's one of the, one of the hosts is actually a a participant in practice right now, but it's, um, this guy and his, his girlfriend and they've traveled all over the world doing all these different things. And, and they were talking about how different the perspective is when you're in the town where you come from or your hometown versus if you're somewhere else. And so they moved to a really cool sort of mountain town just because they wanted to live there. And, um, uh, the, one of the hosts, she was working at just like a retail store there or a cafe and working at a cafe in an awesome town that you move to because you want to live there. Everybody's like, well, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. And and I thought of you, Peter, like, I was working at a grocery store in Missoula. Like, okay, you bike across the country. You end up in Missoula for a while. You're working at a grocery store. Everybody I know that knows you, that follows you on Facebook says, oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Now imagine if you were in your hometown and you were working at a grocery store, like after you graduated college. Everybody would be like, oh my gosh, Peter's a loser. You know? Um, oh, yeah. I was. We were in Mompiche down here in Ecuador, and there was this woman from the Ukraine, and she has a little shop that makes pancakes and sells them there. And like every morning and like lunch and breakfast, she serves pancakes. And there's all these – Mompiche is like a little tiny surfing village here in Ecuador. And if you said, Oh yeah, I moved to this surfing village in Ecuador and I have a little house there and I run a little business that brings in an income so that I can live there, everybody would be like, Wow, you're awesome. That's impressive. But imagine if you were like, Yeah, I live in the town I grew up in and I make pancakes for a living. People would be like, Wow, I'm so sorry. Right? Like there's something about <laughs> there's something about going away, getting out of your hometown that frees you from all those. Weird expectations that have nothing to do with whether your life is enjoyable. They just have to do with like your job title. You know what I mean? I don't know. If you you, you kind of have you guys felt anything similar to that?
2: No, I can understand that. Like, my my family lives in Troutdale, Oregon, which is like this little little town, I guess, on the river. That's like a half an hour from like Multnomah Falls and this beautiful nature. But yeah, if I was working at a grocery store in Troutdale right now, my my family, everyone would be like, "He's such a failure." Right. What happened? But no, you're right. I guess it's kind of interesting that like when you, as long as you leave home, there's kind of an air of success about you.
0: Yeah. You, and you have the freedom to define yourself for the first time. I think that's really hard for a lot of people to understand, especially if they grew up in a town that they like. I kind of feel like maybe you can go back if you really want to put down roots there, but like Just get out for a few years at least so that you can define yourself in the way that matters to you, not not based on other people. When they look at you and say, oh, you're working at Foot Locker in the mall and then they look sad, you know, it's like, (laughs) like maybe you're doing that because it gives you the flexibility to do something you love. I don't know. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the nitty gritty of this life on the road. I mean, I can't bike for more than like 30 minutes without my back hurting and like, my groin and my butt are all uncomfortable. I mean, how do you, how do you how do you manage just sort of like the comfort level? Like, what kind of are you wearing? Like biker outfits? Are you wearing like normal clothes? What what's the getup and what's the sort of the gear that you have to bring?
2: Um, I just wear like bike shorts that I got like probably on clearance at some athletic store at some point, and just wear normal t shirts and like you know like board shorts of some sort, just something comfortable. The, like, the discomfort from actually cycling, within, like, two or three days, a lot of that kind of passes. And when I first did my first bike ride, I couldn't do more than 20 or 30 miles in a day, which some people think, like, oh, 30 miles, that's a lot. But if you think, <laughs> if you get up at 7 a.m. and don't go to bed till 9 p.m., you're averaging, like, three miles an hour. Yeah, like, that's actually pretty sad. Yeah, you're
0: halfway across Oklahoma City, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, but now – We've um we've upgraded our equipment from what we originally had. We had some like bikes that weren't really made for what we were doing. That we upgraded when we were in Missoula, and that's where we got the new trailers too. But yeah, for the most part, it's just basic clothing. Yeah, I mean, we have bike shoes, but they're not necessary. You could wear tennis shoes. Are you?
0: Are you do you feel like you're dirty all the time? Like, do you get to shower every day?
2: Oh no, not we uh, nope. we went two weeks without showering. <laughs>
1: oh my yeah, we had recently. a really bad streak um going through texas just recently probably the longest we've ever gone yeah. we just couldn't find any like no there were no couch surfers that we could stay with and we also didn't have any family or friends and that's usually where we take showers oh or at campgrounds but for some reason all the campgrounds we were staying at didn't have showers <laughs> so it was yeah, i think it was 12 days it was absurd. We do use baby wipes, though. Yeah, baby
2: wipes are your best friend yeah. when it yeah. comes to stuff. Yeah,
1: like, so, I mean, I know it's not as good as a, like, real shower, but we're not, like, completely disgusting.
0: <laughs> I mean, imagine, Honestly, I imagine I, laundry I'm like, has to be hard, too.
1: Um, We do it whenever we see it. So, like, the hotel we're staying in now, there's laundry downstairs, so, like, I'm going to do that today. Um.
2: Yeah, we probably once we take a week
1: advantage
2: of, try to find a laundromat yeah. or something. Now,
0: now what, oh. I mean, what happens if you're... Sixty miles from the nearest town, and something happens to your bike, and it's not rideable anymore. Have you ever been in that situation? Uh,
2: yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> when we were in Washington State, um, what went wrong?
1: You're, oh, like your like back wheel, like the bearings. The exploded, bearings in my back wheel like exploded. Trying to take, I forget why you were you were just adjusting it, yeah, I think or something. Well,
2: so basically, we had to take the wheel, attach it, like bungee it to the one working bike bike the whatever amount of town like i think it was like 30 miles into town well,
1: i think it was only 20 but of course it was so hilly and it was like a 90 degree day and full sun so <laughs> it's really like we we're like oh 20 miles with no equipment like that'll be easy but it was actually really hard and it's like yeah. strenuous but so yeah
0: we had to
2: bike into town get the wheel replaced bike back to the equipment
1: the Bremer, it was, so, we were yeah, into wait so you
0: rode so you rode one bike into town
2: well, at the time, there were actually three of us on the bike ride. We had a friend. Oh, gotcha. Who did the first gotcha. So she stayed with all of our equipment. Then Anna and I biked into town
1: with the two working bikes.
2: bikes okay. Got the wheel replaced and then biked back. But that's like a very real thing that could happen. Like if we're, It almost
1: happened on our way into Missoula. Yeah, it know?
2: almost happened. Yeah, we were going into Missoula and all the spokes went out on my back wheel. Oh, my gosh. And literally two hours later, um, Blaine Bennett who lives in Missoula, happened to be driving on that highway
1: and in, saw in us a giant, in a
2: giant truck with a trailer it, yeah. and took us and all of our equipment into Missoula. In,
0: <laughs> in Missoula, that's called a family sedan. The, you know, oh, yeah. that's
2: They were just having a day on the river, right. apparently. Yeah, They'd
0: been floating. And, now, I'm, picturing, yeah. I'm picturing you when your friends stayed with your stuff. I'm picturing you driving back after hours on the little moped, like from Dumb and Dumber, like traded <laughs> trade in the bike straight up. <laughs> um, so is this is this forever are you just indefinitely going to do this or do you feel like you're going to stop
2: oh no wait, this isn't forever at least the plan right now is it's forever. <laughs> we want to we want to hit every one of the lower 48 states okay. and we should be done with that by september or october 2017 okay um and then at that point there's been a lot of cities that we've really liked and we're thinking of either if I plan on going back to school, we'll find one or we'll just find a place where we can have a little more traditional life for a couple of years yeah. before our next adventure. And we've talked about everything from hiking the Pacific Crest Trail to biking around Australia to doing Europe. We also want to have a honeymoon at some point. We're thinking about going to Iceland for a couple of weeks.
0: So, so your honeymoon is like been places like Orange, Texas. <laughs> yes.
1: <yeah. laughs> really long honeymoon. Now, yeah, did you get
0: really married long. in the middle of this two plus years that you've been on the road or two years? What was that? Did did you get married in the middle of this two years that you've been on the road?
2: Yeah. I, yeah, Yeah, we got engaged like the first week of the bike ride. And then that summer got married at Burning Man. Wow. Usually the
0: opposite happens. If you're in close quarters with someone for, you know, a week or two, it's like, all right, this was, this was a bad idea, but you guys, it, it was love, huh?
2: Yeah. We kind of figured that if we can like each other at the end of this, yeah, we yeah, like no, each other is, at the end of anything.
1: This is pretty like in terms of like relationships. This is a fairly stressful way of because you know, we're we're not only we're together like constantly. You know, we do we have breaks from each other when we're biking, but like I feel like a typical married couple. You know, they probably have jobs at you know separate workplaces and they don't necessarily interact like all day yeah. every day. And they
2: don't spend ninety percent of their downtime in a tent. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Kind of a trial by fire too, because yeah. we have a lot of like kind of uh, stressful things happen to us that we have to work through without getting in a fight about it. So
0: yeah, oh man, I mean, no,
1: that's why I like
2: <laughs> calling us partners as much as husband and wife, because in really we're we're a good partner. Yeah, I mean you
0: know? what what you're doing in this venture that you're on, it's. You you are partners in trying to get to the next city, trying to get to you know a place to sleep that night or, or whatever it might be, and I can see um, that being something that's much easier together than alone. Now, Peter, when you went from D.C. to L.A., were you completely alone?
2: Uh, I was alone in, for two-thirds of it, and then I met up with a friend for the final third.
0: What's the difference between doing it alone and doing it with somebody?
2: Uh, when you're alone, you have a lot more flexibility, like Just because you have, well, I also had a lot more, a lot less weight. But you also don't have someone to like throw ideas Not as many
0: Oreos and beer at that time? Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. You you weren't pulling a a dog and dog food, I suspect. No, no, not at all. I just
2: had a sleeping bag and a tent and little else.
0: So so you could kind of just change plans at, at will.
2: Yeah, at will. But also, like, I would get in the habit of getting kind of like tunnel visioned. And I wouldn't like kind of stop and smell the roses, so to speak. And Anna's really good about seeing something that's neat and stopping to take a picture and kind of slowing me down. And also it's just good to have another perspective where it's like, do we want to stop at this hotel because of the weather? Do we want to push on? What other chances? Like, do we need to find a city to get groceries or do we want to make sure like just keep going for another thirty miles? Like just having someone that slows you down and that you can bounce ideas off of, I think is made for a much more fulfilling experience.
0: Now, do you get bored? I mean, if you're riding most of the day, are you, did, did you ever or do you still struggle with boredom at all?
1: I don't. I'm not, I'm easily entertained. And <laughs> usually, whatever I'm listening to, or sometimes I even, sometimes I'm not listening to anything at all, and it's enough to just, you know, listen to the sounds around us. Yeah. And, um,
2: um, yeah. Not not really. Between an Audible account, Spotify, um, you know, podcasts, comedy albums, and then just like listening to the sounds of nature, it's pretty easy to keep yourself stimulated.
0: So you're probably I mean, you're probably going through a good number of books, I would imagine, more than if you were at home, you know, trying to read like most people do, um, you know, a couple oh, couple oh, yeah, minutes before far. bed at night or whatever.
2: Oh no, yeah, I'm going through books a lot faster than I ever did. I love
0: I absolutely love audiobooks. Well now you can listen to yourself on the Isaac Morehouse podcast, you know. You know, I, I probably <laughs> won't because you know I hate listening to myself. <laughs> it's weird how that is, isn't it? What what would you say to someone? I don't know, have you ever had anybody say this, that you guys are this is just a form of escapism. You're just you're just trying to run away from you know, whatever, uh, your problems or grown-up life or, you know, the things that a normal person is supposed to do. You're just, you're just trying to avoid it. You're just trying to delay reality or escape from it.
2: Oh man, there's a lot you can say about that. Um, we've, we've actually, someone made an anonymous post about us one time about how we were just hedonists trying to escape adulthood and we were nothing but teenagers and children and stuff like that. I don't know. There's like, you could challenge a lot of the foundation of what they're saying. Like what is adulthood? Like why is avoiding your dreams or staying in one location, how we measure someone's success in life. Like if we're not hurting anyone else, we're enjoying ourselves and creating art when we can and meeting good people. Isn't that a successful life?
1: It's it's not that we don't have responsibilities on this bike ride. We just have different responsibilities that we've yeah. chosen for ourselves. So I would say that we're not trying to avoid You know we're not trying to avoid responsibility or being adults
2: we're just i mean we could even flip it back on them and be like wow how childish that you always know where you're going to sleep at night and always (laughs) know what food's going to be in the house it's It's just like you're living with your parents that's the easy
0: way out." I, i mean it's it's funny i there's sort of two two thoughts even when i asked the question i started to laugh at myself one is uh if this is escapism in sort of the typical way it's used as a negative thing Um, it's kind of a bizarre, it's kind of a bizarre way to escape because it sounds sounds like a lot of work. It doesn't sound easy. It's not like you're sitting on the beach, you know, sipping cocktails. But the other one that I've always thought, I, I love the idea of escapism. If you're in a reality that sucks, why would you not want to escape it to something better mentally, physically, or both? I mean, if you're in prison, you don't want to just numb yourself to it so that you can survive. You want to always be thinking about what's on the other side and you want to find a way to get out there, you know? If if you're not happy, you should escape, <laughs>
2: you know? Yeah. I was going to say like I don't think there's anything wrong with escapism. I think we do it all the time. Everyone that turns on a TV show or reads a book or goes on vacation for 2 weeks, they're doing mini escapism. Yeah. And we've just found a way to implement some of that escape into our daily life in a way where we get to meet new people, see new places, it, you know, go through cities that no one has traveled through. Like we're, we were on a road recently and just this lady pulls over and just asks if we're lost. Like the assumption being you're here and I don't know you, therefore something's yeah, wrong. And then
0: you slowly turned and you said, not all who wander are lost. <laughs> 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 Do, would you say that, well, I'll put it this way. What type of person would you recommend an extended bike trip like this to?
2: I mean, anyone that's honestly, anyone that's unhappy where they are now, I think a lot of people put too much focus on needing the right equipment, needing the right savings account, being prepared, or knowing something about being out in the world. It's like, no, just take the first step out your door, and a lot of that falls into place. And you learn a lot. We live in an age where I can pull up my phone, and if I need to know how to start a fire, I just pull up a YouTube (laughs) and look at it. Like, all the information in the world is at your fingertips. So if you're unhappy where you are, I set off with nothing more than about $1,000 on my bank account for that first bike ride, which is not a lot in the grand scheme of things to live off of for two and a half months.
1: And you don't have to do it through biking. You know, like yeah. we we ran into a couple that was exploring Oregon in their VW bus, yes. right? So, and we've, we've run into other people that are traveling the country in different ways, you know, like on a motorcycle or in a converted van or...
2: Yeah, I met a, a guy motorcycle. that was hitchhiking across the country with his two dogs and like... If you're unhappy where you are, just go try something else. Worst case scenario, you go back to where you were and you're still at the status quo. Like you haven't made your life worse.
0: And I would even say almost it's almost impossible even if you go back, you know, whatever, a couple weeks in, a couple months in, and, oh, this isn't working. I have to go back. You're going to be a different person. You're going to have something. You're going to have gained something Oh, Even yeah. if the time was sucky and it was hard, it will have changed you in ways that are beneficial just, just by going after it, just by learning for yourself. Instead of, instead of having reasons to not do it that are purely theoretical, having reasons based on experience. Okay, I learned that this was too hard. I don't want to do it this way. Um, there's so much value. There's so much value to that. So what do you have in terms of, do you have any recommendations for podcasts, books, uh, things that have been really influ- influential for you that you would recommend to uh, our listeners to check out?
2: Anna, Anna? Oh. Um, I don't know. For me, like, I like listening to funny podcasts like Sawbones, which is about medical history, or The Adventure Zone, which is four guys playing D&D together. And that's hilarious. <laughs> but also, like Tim Ferriss' podcast is always super inspiring. Yeah, it's a good he one. He always has fantastic people on there. And reading his Tim Paris's Four Hour Week, as much as this sounds like an infomercial that you'd see at three o'clock in the morning or something, it's actually a really interesting book that gives a good philosophy about how valuable your time is, and to stop putting like stop focusing on possessions, instead focus on experiences. Um, there's a book called The Guide to the Good Life, which is an introduction to Stoic philosophy, which has been super impactful for me. Huh. Like just kind of, he goes through like the, you know, ancient Greek and Roman stoic philosophers and then stuff that they recommended to improve your life. Like, you know, doing negative visualization, imagining what you would do if the worst thing in the world happens to you. And that's something I go through a lot. Like I'll be biking, be like, okay, what would happen if God forbid a car hit Anna right now? Or what happens if my, you know, my leg broke or something terrible happened? How would I handle that? And by going through that visualization and realizing that you'll be okay Mm-hmm. Then it's not as scary to go out in the world and take risks.
0: Yeah, so you're going to have to author a book, Stoicism and the Art of Bicycle Maintenance.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs>
0: probably yes. Um, one of the many books I want to
1: write it. I hope point. we write a book
0: about. Yeah, are you? Do you plan to write to write about your experiences? Yeah, we've gone so. we've
2: gone through a couple of ideas on how we want to tackle that because we do definitely want to create something. We've thought about doing more of an instructional guide for people that are cycling as a couple or with a dog, unlike long-term cycling, because there's a lot of stuff out there for doing a cross-country ride. and But it's like, this is a little bit different. And I, feel like you could, like, I mean,
0: I don't know. I haven't checked, but I feel like you could dominate the niche cycling long-term with a dog. You know, I don't know how many books are on that, but you could probably be the experts.
2: Yeah. No, and we we probably would be. There was really, we've had to make up a lot of the stuff with having Higgins here as we go, because there's... Not a lot of experience with doing it
0: with a dog. You have to teach that dog to pedal so you can ride in the, you know.
2: (laughs) You know, there's been times he loves to, like, be in the lead. So we've had some pretty steep hills where we'll attach him to the front of the bike and he'll pull it. Oh, that's great. I love it. He's he's a strong dog, too. All right.
0: So, Peter and Anna, uh, how can people follow you, find out more about you? Are you on Twitter, uh, website, anything like that?
2: Um, We have a Facebook page called Shifts and Higgles. S H I F T S shifts like shifting and Higgles, our dog, H I G G L E S. So, we've got a Facebook page and an Instagram page by the same name that we do some blog posting, a little bit of blog posting, a lot of photos, any like interesting articles that relate to what we're doing. And you can always find at least me on Facebook just be my friend I, and laughs. Yeah,
0: is he yeah. are are you kind of rolling your eyes as he as he posts everything that happens in your life onto facebook my wife does that to me sometimes
2: <laughs> yeah she is i'm you know you i mean you know this i'm way public on yeah facebook. so
0: am i <laughs> more than i should be
2: by the way did heather <laughs> ever uh, go surfing
0: oh nope hasn't done it yeah, i mean th- there's a whole we're gonna hopefully we'll do an episode in the next couple days here about recapping our trip here but um I can't blame her too much considering some of the different illnesses and adventures we've faced as a, yeah. <laughs> as a family.
2: Fair enough. I, was just, I just listened to that podcast like a week ago, I guess.
0: And, she has not so. yet. We will see. Hey, Peter and Anna, this has been absolutely awesome. You guys can go to Shifts and Higgles on Facebook or Instagram. You can also find Peter uh, directly on, on uh, Facebook if you want to. And uh, when you guys write that book – well, oh and Anna, you're on Facebook as well. You're okay with people finding you there? Yeah,
1: that's totally Even fine. Even though you're not you're not
0: as out there as Peter, but you're still okay with people.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't really like post a lot. I'm not as entertaining. You should probably if you're if you're there for entertainment, friend friend Peter, because he <laughs> posts way more than I just do. Just
0: sit but. there with some popcorn when he's having a beer and Oreo party and yeah. just follow it live. It's amazing.
2: Hey man, finding <laughs> out Oreos were vegan was the best thing of my life.
0: <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. Hey,
2: thanks Isaac,
1: it's been yeah, a pleasure. Thanks for having do us. That.